Hi, this is Bill Arnold. Missed a show or need me talking to help you sleep tonight? I have several solutions to that situation. Here are the podcasts from the show. You are the best for listening and supporting Faith Radio. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold. I'm very excited. I have Dr. Randy Newman with me in this half hour. He is the Senior Teaching Fellow for Apologetics and Evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute in the D.C. area. So he always feels obligated to quote Lewis when he comes on the show. But we are going to talk today about uh, Good Friday. So, uh, Randy, welcome back to the show. Uh, It's great to be with you. Thanks very much. Well, for starters, why do they call it Good Friday? What's... Mm. Yeah, I mean that's, the that's, the Jewish authorities and the Romans, the you know what they did to him was not that good, not for him anyway, but for us it was amazing. Well, and and that is that is the very crux of the the Christian message, isn't it? That that the worst thing we could have ever imagined happening turned out to be the very very best thing that could have ever happened. Uh, God sent His Son, the Messiah, and people killed him. They crucified yeah. him. Yeah. And so that's that's the worst thing that could happen from an earthly human standpoint, um, and yet it turned out to be the absolute greatest and best thing. So I, I wish there was a term stronger than Good Friday. It, it's it's the best Friday. Yeah, it really it really is, and that Jesus w- was so good to us that day. And I I would extrapolate that there isn't a day in our existence that he is not equally as good to us as he was that day. Yeah, I think that's, I think you're right. And I think it's worth chewing on that of if in fact, Jesus is the same yesterday, today, and forever, um, then that goodness of that day uh, is, is present and real every day. But we don't, we don't think about it that way, but we should. Yeah. I, I think about that often. Uh, and I think of Jesus leave, leaving this elite status of heaven and becoming flesh and going to what would be the most heinous death you could imagine. I, I think, did the Greeks invent crucifixion, and the, but the Romans perfected it? Do you, do you know how that went? Mm, I'm sorry, I don't know. Yeah, yeah, um, I, I'm just speculating. Um, but it seemed like when a, when a uh, person was condemned to death, the soldiers were no longer held accountable for their behavior. So they could just uh, go nuts. Yeah, and it was—I mean, it was just so despicable. It was so public. You know, um, uh, there are accounts of entire roads being surrounded on both sides with crucified bodies oh. of rebels. And yeah, it was—it was supposed to be so horrific and disgusting, as if to say, "Don't mess with the Roman power, because mm-hmm. this is what'll happen to you." Um, so such a, such a stark contrast to, I'm not, I'm not trying to make any kind of statements at all about capital punishment, but, but in our culture, when we carry that out, it's very, very private. Um, people don't see it unless they, unless they choose and they want to come be a witness. Um, but we don't, we don't, uh, advertise it and exploit it the way it was done in that, in that time. When Jesus was crucified outside of the city, they wanted it to be a public spectacle, didn't they? 
Oh yes, they did. Um, but uh, that's that's an important pass, an important segment in the book of Hebrews that he was crucified outside the city. So it has historical purpose to it of um, you know announcing to the whole world, but it also has theological uh, significance. And um, I, I do want to go back a little bit when when you said about you know why is this called Good Friday? It does it does seem to me that the I don't think we can ever exhaust this. We should reflect more and more and more about the the paradox of the Christian message, mm-hmm. that victory comes through death, that uh, he who would exalt himself must humble himself, that the greatest, most supreme being, God himself, humbled himself to be, and became a baby and humbled himself to the point of death not just death, but the most hideous death, the death on a cross. I mean, there's so much of that that the, the more we could meditate on that and reflect on that, it should um, break us and transform us. It should, it should humble us. And, and so there's nothing more ugly than, than an arrogant Christian because it is so contradictory to the core of what, our, what, what, what is our faith. That's so well said, uh, Randy. I, I, um, I just want to chew on that for a minute because it's so absolutely true. And I think there's something about the, the self-righteousness of some Christians that turn a lot of people off when it comes to uh, uh, evangelism and sharing their faith. Right. And, um, and, and, yeah, and how that points about sharing our faith. Um, it's just so easy when we get into a conversation. Um, there's this temptation to be uh, arrogant, uh, haughty. Why can't you see this? It's just so obvious. Why can't you be smart like me? Because I'm obviously <laughs> smart because I believe this, and it's right. true. Right. And if you and if you don't believe the truth, you must be stupid. In, instead of the, the the reason why I believe this is because God opened up my blind eyes. Um, it's not something that I take credit for. I mean, I, I don't take credit for um, the, the substance of my salvation, meaning I didn't earn my way to God, but I don't even take credit for the process of coming to faith. It's not like I did this because I'm so smart. It's God orchestrated all sorts of things to bring certain people into my life to say things. He opened up my eyes and my heart when I read passages of the Bible that, wow, they made sense. They, they got through. They penetrated through my blindness. And we forget that. Um, uh, we, we retaliate when people are nasty to us and, you know, terrible things like that. And I think of your comment you just made about uh, the death, the, the the heinous death on the cross, and I always am reminded that God's best work is usually done in the face of death. Mm. You think of the Lazarus in the tomb or the barren womb, uh, and you go on and on. When when it looks as if there is no hope, along comes Jesus. Yeah, right. And, uh, well, so um, uh, death is the worst possible thing. Because of the gospel, then, it becomes an absolutely great thing because it ushers us into eternity uh, with God. So again, it's, it's that moment of the worst possible thing 
becoming uh, the very, very best thing. Mm-hmm. Good Friday is the best Friday. Uh, you know, there's there's a whole bunch of uh, maybe I just gravitate toward these things, but I remember reading, um, I think it was Roth Douthat's book, um, Bad Religion. It came out quite a few years ago, but in his introduction, he just points out that Christianity, more than any other religion, is is steeped in and and based on paradox and irony. Uh, God becoming a man, people being saved by dying to themselves, uh, you know, and it's a whole long list. And there are a number of people who just, um, they go after this. I, I was actually reading a, a commentary on Second Corinthians, and, and the writer was talking about Paul rejoicing in his own sufferings. And he says, Paul uh, suffers with Christ in order to be glorified with him. Victory comes in defeat, glory in humiliation and joy joy in suffering. The wise must become fools to become truly wise. The rich one becomes poor so that the poor might become rich. I mean, it's it's so many places in scripture, and we just kind of fly by those, but I think we need to meditate on them and uh, ask God to, you know, have it dig into the marrow of our bones so that it it, it marvels and amazes us and, and changes us. Mm-hmm. Randy, as it as a Christian, we are most thrilled by the blood of Jesus to pay for our sins. But when you have people asking you questions about who are unsaved, about the death and and um, crucifixion of Christ, they're wondering why would the Father uh, send his only begotten Son to this horrific, heinous death, and what's with the blood? Mm. So I think sometimes what we need to respond to b- before answering their question, and we, knew, we do need to answer the questions, but before that, we, we just sort of need to sort of like step back. I wish I knew how to express this. We step back from the question and the answer and sort of look at the whole discussion and, and, and kind of make a comment. Well, here's a way people say this is sometimes we need to have a conversation about the conversation. So we step back from and, – and we should say things like, I realize this may sound crazy. I, I, realize, I realize this is so countercultural. I realize this – I, I realize that at first this makes no sense because, because I think that's what we should do. And I mean, I mean if the scriptures themselves use you know, words like the stumbling block of the cross or um, – uh, you know, so many times, you know, in Jesus' teaching, you've heard it said, but I say. So he's, he's acknowledging that this is different. This is, this is not the way society normally works. So I think we should just, I think we should acknowledge to people, yeah, I, I realize this is, uh, this is a minority uh, opinion. This is different than what we usually think. I realize this is weird, but... Here's why I believe it. Here's why it does make sense, even though it's so countercultural. Mm-hmm. Take a short break. Dr. Randy Newman is our guest. We're talking about the crucifixion, Good Friday. We'll uh, be back in just uh, 90 seconds.
So glad to be back with Dr. Randy Newman. He's a senior teaching fellow for apologetics and evangelism at the C.S. Lewis Institute. He's also uh, taught at Reformed Theological Seminary and Patrick Henry College, and he was a campus crusade for Christ for th- over 30 years. And you can see him blogging at connectionpoint.us, connectionpoints.us. Randy, as I was thinking uh, just during the break about the crucifixion and the uh, horror of it, um, of course, what led up to it was uh, a near-death beating. Um, and I think it was Jesus obviously sustained all 40 of the lashes. I can imagine what kind of shape you would be in as you start to carry the cross on the way to your own crucifixion. It's just, uh, it's, it's unthinkable. Uh, it, it is. And... Um... Uh, isn't it isn't it stunning how um, how little detail of that is told in the gospel accounts? I mean, mm-hmm. it, it's it's, ama- it's very very quick. Uh, it's um, you know he carried his cross, and so they crucified him. Uh, I mean, it, it's it's a horrific experience, and yet the the emphasis on the scripture is much more on what was happening spiritually as far as this messiah atoning for sins and how it was a fulfillment of um the the passover story the exodus story because we get a lot of text telling us about that night before uh at the at the celebration of passover with his disciples so i'm I'm not trying to make uh, light of your comment about how horrific the death is but i'm always struck with if you just look at the weighting that Scripture gives it, um, there's a lot more on what what preceded and the accomplishment of the cross, uh, more so than the 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 horrific blood and, yeah. and the horrible death. Yeah, I'd love for you to say more about that. Which <laughs> about <laughs> the, the the spiritual and the and the Old Testament connections? Mm. Well, can I go backwards a little bit? Oh, talk please, about I'd love that. Oh, please. Um, well, because um, we have to understand the Passover in order to understand why Jesus kept pointing, making uh, direct uh, line connections between what was celebrated for Passover at Passover and how his death was the fulfillment of that. So I, I really hope every single one of your listeners has been to a Passover Seder at least once in their life. And... Um, Especially if they could go to one that was that's like a Passover Seder demonstration. I know Jews for Jesus does that. I know Chosen People Ministry uh, does this in a number of churches. It's so, it's just so remarkable, and it's so tragic that so many Christians don't know that part of the story. It's just terrible. I um, so so you know you just think about the fact that. Um, when Jesus was, was parading uh, into the city on a donkey, and people are, are you know, singing and, and they're pronouncing Hosanna, and the crowds gather, um, th- that's because there were, the, the city was so packed with people. Um, they had come from all over to celebrate Passover in Jerusalem, near the temple. Um, some estimates say that the, the population of the city was eight times as much as it would ordinarily be. So there's this huge crowd, and they're expecting uh, to celebrate Passover. And the tradition was that the Messiah was going to arrive at Passover time. They connected all of those prophecies about a Messiah being the king and reigning, and Psalm 2 coming, uh, the, the son of David coming and bringing about peace. Uh, 
that he was going to arrive at Passover time. Now, I, I'm, I'm not quite sure that we have a biblical basis for connecting those, but, but regardless, that's what people expected, that the Messiah was going to come at Passover. And so every year, and people celebrated every single year, every year was this great high expectation and then this colossal disappointment. Because he was supposed to come at Passover, he didn't. And uh, and so they 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 announce uh, they're 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 putting down palm branches and they're singing and and they're quoting Hosanna, um, uh, blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord. That's a quote from the Psalms and it's a part of the Psalms that are that are um, recited on Passover. And yet, so that so then people, Jesus comes in. They're expecting him to triumph, to take over be victorious, kick out these horrible Romans, and then he dies. He gets mm. killed. And it's it's not just the disappointment of the Messiah didn't show up. It's we really thought this was the guy, and he got killed. So it's this it's this a, a greater high and a, a colossal crash. Um, and so that's why it's just so stunning when he rises from the dead three days later. It's just this whew, whiplash of... <laughs> High, low, high, oh my goodness, and, and trying to put it all together and trying to, to see, oh, that's what, um, isn't, that, it, isn't it just so interesting that for the Jewish people to be uh, set free from slavery, there had to be the death of a lamb. Mm-hmm. What a, that, there's, there's, there's a certain element of that that we should kind of say, how odd. What a what a strange thing! Okay, um, okay, God's gonna God's gonna um, pour out uh, his tenth plague of killing the firstborn, and he's gonna uh, let the people go, and they're gonna get to the Red Sea, and he's gonna part the Red Sea. He's gonna do all of this. Uh, but wait a minute, hold it, hold it. Before we go, um, you have to get a lamb. It has to be a spotless lamb. You have to kill it. You have to put the blood on the doorpost. Doorposts. So that when God goes through the land judging, he will pass over the houses of the people who did something as an outward expression of an inward trust in God. Um, There should be a sense that as we tell this and we think about it, we think, this is really unusual. This is really – it's so unusual that it should draw our attention and say, what is going on? There's, there's something bigger going on here. Because um, they could have been delivered out of Egypt without all that blood stuff. You know, Randy, thanks for saying that out loud, because I've, I have always kind of thought that. I mean, that, that's a hard <laughs> thing to, to wrap my mind around. Can well, you, Can you imagine all the people that had gathered for this and then all the slaughtering of these, these little animals that, that are going on? It's all over the place. Mm. Talk about messy and noisy and everything else. <laughs> but but see, um, I think there's this theme uh, all the way through Scripture that there there are these unusual things that happen, and so many of them are pointing to the most unusual thing that could ever happen: God Himself coming as a person. Mm-hmm. So, so there's all these odd things that happen, and, and we're supposed to look at them and say, okay, th- there's got to be something bigger going on here. So just for example, um, the, the, um, uh, the offering up of Isaac by Abraham. Mm-hmm. What, a, what a crazy story. Um, Abraham, 
Well, Abraham had failed a whole bunch of tests, right? <laughs> he gets, he's, he's told that God's going to bless him and that all the uh, nations of the world will be blessed through him, and he's going to have an offspring. He's going to have more offspring than the stars in the sky and the sand on the seashore. And um, so he doesn't really believe God, so he lies, and he says that uh, his wife is his sister because he's afraid that you know, they're going to kill her. Um, and then he lies again, or then he fails again, and he takes Hagar. I mean, it's like this series of, you know, can, you know, God keeps repeating his covenant. Abraham keeps, you know, not getting it right. So then there's one more test, and and this is like the biggest one. You can go offer up your son. Offer up your son? And, and, and he starts to do it. And then God interrupts the drama. That whole story is just so crazy that it should say – Okay, there's there's got to be something else going on here other than this guy getting a vision while he was dreaming and God woke him up. Could this be pointing to something much bigger, something more cosmic, a greater sun being offered up? Um, could it be that there's – like there's this really strange little thing at the end where this ram gets substituted in place of Isaac. It's a substitute mm -hmm. death to set a son free. Could this be pointing to a greater substitute? And and if we don't if we don't see the oddness of these things, then we don't start asking the question, maybe there's something bigger going on here. But if we do ask it and we see something is bigger, then oh, look look at how much bigger. Look at how much better. Yeah. There there are all of these places in scripture that are um predictions of the Messiah that keep pushing us looking forward. Oh, by the way, isn't it something at the end of that whole narrative about um, Abraham offering up Isaac, and then God puts a ram in, and he takes the lamb and slaughters it? And then the text says, and, and that is why um, this place is called the Lord will provide. And he repeats it like a few verses later. Even to this day, that place is called the Lord will will provide and you go wait wait it shouldn't be the lord will provide it should be that the lord did provide mm -hmm. the lord has provided because he provided the ram but no the place is called the lord will provide meaning this whole thing with the ram it was just a pointer to still to something still coming in the future and so the text itself says keep looking for the greater fulfillment than what just happened here. This story is not the end of the story. Yeah. Randy, thank you uh, for doing the show, and have a wonderful Easter with your family. Well, thank you. You bet. I hope I didn't go overtime. No, no, you didn't at all. <laughs> Dr. Randy Newman has been my guest. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back. And a warm welcome to Afternoons with me. I'm Bill Arnold, the show which is half the price of those name-brand afternoon shows. 
I'm very excited. My guest today is Dallas Jenkins. He's a husband, a father, a follower of Jesus. He is a graduate from right here at the University of Northwestern, where he met his amazing wife, Amanda. So, Dallas, since graduation, have you done anything else? No, I've just uh, just been relaxing for about you know, 25 years or so. so yeah. <laughs> good. Thanks, thanks good, for, for asking. good for you. I mean, it's important, though, to have a vision, and I hope you get one someday. <laughs> yes. Uh, yeah. So, no, but yeah, I'm so glad you mentioned my uh, beautiful and uh, amazing wife. Yeah, Northwestern is where I, my life, uh, I mean, I, I think I can look back on my life and talk about my pre-Northwestern years and my post-Northwestern years. Yeah, awesome. Because uh, that's, where, that's where I met my wife and where I think the direction of my my career uh, really launched. Yeah. So just to let the audience know, you are the creator and the director and the co-writer of The Chosen, now coming out with season two, uh, starting on Sunday. I don't see key grip or craft services uh, on your resume, so you're not that involved, or you just farm out the tough stuff. Which is it? <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, I, I I wish I could farm out the tough stuff. <laughs> um, no, the uh, yeah, I I don't deny the fact that the show is my baby, um, that it, you know that I am the boss, but uh, but I I always make a, a very very strong point, not only to myself but to uh, to, to the world that uh, one of the reasons why The Chosen has become as impactful as it has is because I surround myself with people who are smarter than I am at their jobs. So I, I, there's some things that I do really well that no one else can do. And there's most things that I can't do that uh, others can do far better than I can. And uh, we have a team that's extraordinary uh, and, and it's getting better each year. And that allows us to uh, to pull this off because this, this show is way better than I am. Yeah, Dallas, you've just made a very uh, smart comment. Um, like on my afternoon show, I always do the very same thing. I surround myself with really smart people and a couple of people that you know, uh, Dr. Mark Muska, regular guest on the show, and Mark Senius. Wow, that's great to hear. Yeah, I love uh, both of those men. I know you and, do, uh, and they love you, just so you know. Yeah, Mark Muska was my very first, I mean, I know him as Dr. Muska, but uh, he was my, my very first Bible teacher. Um, so any issues that you have with the chosen <laughs> biblical perspective, you can blame on him. My very first, my very first Bible class I ever took in college was uh, Old Testament 101, uh, Old Testament survey is what it was called. Yeah. And yeah. Um, and then I actually wasn't a student of of uh, Dr. Sinius, but he we've been in touch over the years. I, I'm often a guest in, in his classes. Yeah. So yeah, uh, both great men, and uh, I'm proud to be associated with. Them. So Dallas, like what, 96 million views of the chosen so far? We're, we're on a roll here. Well, I haven't checked in the last day, so it's it's gone up. Our trailer for season two launched uh, Wednesday morning, and uh, just kind of blew up. So it's the show right now is is accelerating at a rate that we haven't uh, seen before. So that's really cool. But yeah, we're. We're close to hitting the 100 million views mark. Yeah, that's fantastic. And and the show is amazingly wonderful. It's outstanding. Everybody loves it. And I heard about it first from Mark Muska, Dr. Muska. So uh, it has been uh, really a, a one-of-a-kind explosion of interest. And that makes me so happy because people are seeing the life of Jesus. Yeah. When, when COVID hit last year, um, we did this thing where we thought, all right, it's going to be a goodwill gesture to just make the show free because there's so many people who, because of COVID, you know, in the, the lockdowns and the mandates, you know, they're, they're struggling both spiritually and financially. So let's just make the show free for a few weeks. We'll lose money, but it'll be a goodwill gesture and it's just the right thing to do. 
And the day that we made it totally free, and the day that we launched this eight-night um, marathon of, of live streams showing each of the episodes from season one, we were only intending to leave those up for a couple of weeks, uh, the show not only exploded in viewership and popularity around the world, but we quadrupled, quintupled, whatever hmm. you, want, what you want to use, our income. Wow. Um, which makes no sense, but that's how God's impossible math works. Um, because we said, look, if you don't want to buy the show, you don't have to enjoy the free show. It's totally free, no mm -hmm. restriction. We don't even ask for email address. But if you want it to be free for others, and if you want us to be able to do future episodes and seasons, then you can pay it forward. And we gave them this opportunity to pay it forward, and it just exploded. Yeah. Um, and uh, it's been just incredible to see. And the reason that I'm bringing this up is just to say that I think for the world, the pandemic was this defeating um, move. It was a defeating moment. But at least when the chosen, where the chosen is concerned, the chosen has become for millions, uh, in many ways, a rescue, an, an oasis of, of sorts, a, a, a uniting force. Um, I mean, we're hearing from people every day who are who have literally been drawn closer to Christ, who are reading their Bible more than ever, who say to us, "This show saved my life," or "This show saved my family," or "I'm watching something with my children uh, that teaches." I mean, when you and, and when all that is happening, and it's and it's not even just a Christian project set today, it's 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 a Jesus show. Right. It's about the Jesus of Nazareth. Uh, it doesn't get any better than that, and I'm just so grateful to be part of it. Yeah. Dallas, talk about cast chemistry, because it's amazing. It is amazing. Uh, uh, we made a decision when we were first casting the show that uh, because we weren't owned by some big studio, because we uh, didn't, didn't uh, we weren't owned by anybody, um, we didn't have to play by all the usual rules of trying to get a celebrity or, try, you know, and we also believed, you know, with, with a show like this, the story is the star. Jesus is right. the star. And I don't, I don't, I'm not even saying that in a cheesy way. I'm saying, some stories you don't really need a celebrity because the, the 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 story itself or the character itself can kind of attract people. So we just said we're only going to cast the very best people for the role and not care at all about um, their celebrity status. And the, the best person for the role is also going to be authentic, meaning you know we're not casting you know Europeans to play first century Jews. Right. So that that does narrow your field. Anytime that you put a restriction on who you're casting it makes it even more difficult to find people because it's just hard to find good actors in general, much less good actors from a particular uh, race or gender or age group or whatever it is. And uh, we, we just, God has blessed us. Uh, and I, and I'm, again, I try not to say that pejoratively, but um, immensely because it seemed like for every role, there was only one possible person. And, uh, and, and we saw that when we were casting. And I think you see that when you watch the show, uh, the, the, the actors are truly tremendous and their chemistry and, and, uh, is just extraordinary. And I think it's because when we film a lot of these scenes, even our actors who aren't believers, and that probably makes up half of the majority of the cast members who aren't believers or don't have a strong faith tradition, um, will tell you that there are times in scenes where they don't know what's going on, but there is a powerful emotional thing happening that, or, or a spiritual thing happening that they can't describe that makes the scene even bigger and better than than they anticipated or expected or, or planned for. Well, that's another thing that we will be praying for is your cast, that they will all come to know Jesus. Well, yeah, I think, uh, I think they and everyone else, you know, yeah, amen. Think, uh, yeah. Yeah. Uh, um, I think that's a, that should be a daily prayer, but 
you know, at the very least, what I'm trying to do, my, my, you know, look, there's a truth that hit me a couple of years ago that changed my life, which is it's not your job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. Mm-hmm. And I think that applies to life. I think that applies to business. I think that applies to ministry. And I think that applies to even to ev- evangelism. Uh, my job is to make the best bread and fish that I can mm-hmm. so that if Jesus or, or, or his father deems them worthy of acceptance, that's where the transaction ends. The, the feeding of the 5,000, whether it's literal, like financial, or whether it's spiritual, is just not my responsibility. I can't, I, can't, I can't think of that with the goal in mind. All I can do is make the best show that I can. All I can do is share Christ with those who need to have Christ shared with them, and that includes Christians. Um, and, uh, and then what happens, the result of that is up to him, and all we can do is, is pray that he gives grace to, uh, to those who believe. Mm-hmm. Dallas, the portrayal of some of the characters, let's just pick up Matthew for fun, seems to have a little bit of OCD maybe. Was that a creative writing, uh, or is that something in your background, or where did that come from? Yeah, great question. So, uh, yeah, I would go a little further. I think, Matthew, we portray him as being on the autism spectrum, okay. um, which is uh, based on two things. One, when we were doing our character study for all of the main characters that we decided to portray in the show, when this is back when we first devised of the show, and I was first gathering my co-writers and saying, here's my vision for this project. And then it's like, all right, let's choose who our main character should be. And Matthew, the tax collector, stood out as having a really interesting story because he was hated uh, by the Jews uh, for being a betrayer of his people and disrespected by the Romans for being Jewish. And yet when Jesus came and said, follow me, he left everything immediately and followed him. So we started to unpack that. We said, all right, now what are some character traits of this guy? We start listing things. You know, he's a numbers guy Mm -hmm. because he's a tax collector. He's a facts guy. The first chapter of his book is nothing but a genealogy divided into three equal sections of 14 apiece. Uh, You know, so he's very particular. Um, He's also, he chose a profession that made him a social outcast. Now, that brings me to my second thing, which is my the authenticity, I believe, that he's portrayed with and that has caused so many people with autism or parents of autism or Asperger's children have expressed such gratitude and enthusiasm for the portrayal is because I have that in my family as well, not just in my immediate family with, with one of my daughters, but with multiple uh, nieces, nephews, um, you know, cousins, whatnot. Uh, we certainly have a strain of, of something in our in our DNA that is... Uh, causing uh, this to be relatively common. And I've done a lot of work in the special needs community, and I just know it very well. So I thought, wow, this guy sounds a lot like someone who's on the autism spectrum. What if we portrayed him as that in a really authentic way? And we thought that would be such a great human way for the show, kind of a way in for viewers to see the humanity of these people. So not only would it appeal to people with autism or people who've experienced that or know of that, but even those who don't, having that kind of a personality trait that you've never seen before in a Bible project instantly humanizes these people. And in the past, a lot of Jesus projects have been so, I think, not human. They're cardboard characters, formal, distant, um, you know, just they're just quoting King James scripture without <laughs> much without much passion or emotion, and there's no backstory. We don't know them at all. Uh, and so the, the, the thing that I think has set the chosen apart is its humanity and its authenticity. And Matthew is probably one of the most, one of the top reasons for that. Mm-hmm. And Dallas, uh, season two starts uh, Sunday? Sunday night, Easter Sunday, 8 p.m. Eastern. Okay. Uh, we are doing a global live stream on our Facebook pages, our YouTube channel, and the app, the chosen app, Yep. Uh, is which is the primary way to watch the show. Uh, we're launching season two all at once around the world. 
Uh, at the same time, we'll be hosting a huge live stream for that first episode. Mm-hmm. My guest is Dallas Jenkins, the creator, director, and co-writer of The Chosen. We'll take a very short break, and we'll be right back with Dallas. the show so glad to have dallas jenkins as my guest today he's the creator director and co-writer of the chosen who is now making his 17th interview today without a bathroom break dallas thanks for that (laughs) oh i've taken bathroom breaks just uh (laughs) just not the kind you'd want to know about Uh, that's why i have a a big a big uh you know bucket right next to me yeah i (laughs) i can only imagine the demands on your schedule right now um it's got to be huge but it's a happy huge isn't it yeah, I mean, that it, it shows that something's resonating. You know, we released the trailer yesterday for season two, and it was uh, trending on YouTube, which is a term that means, uh, you know, the kids tell me yeah. uh, that they, they say it's in the top 20 videos on the entire YouTube platform that are being that are generating the most uh, excitement and response and engagement. And so um, that was really exciting. We actually got up to the to the eighth spot, uh, the you know, the eighth most trending video on YouTube at one point. So with that comes, of course, tremendous uh, busyness and responsibility and all of that. But that's uh, that's a good thing. It means yeah. it's 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 working. Dallas, I would love for you to uh, give us your background as to when you started praying for this project and what you were asking God for, because this thing is blown out of control, which is fantastic. Well, here's what I'll be uh, I'll tell you, and I mean this sincerely. It's not it's not an empty platitude. I never prayed for its success. Okay. Um, I had, I had, and, I, and I've never prayed to avoid its failure. Um, <laughs> I had, I, I, I experienced a failure back in 2017 where my movie, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone, which incidentally is starting to have a resurgence on Netflix now. A lot of people are fi- finally watching it and loving it, which has been cool. But uh, in 2017, The Resurrection of Gavin Stone came out in theaters and totally bombed. And I went from being a director with a very bright future to being a director with no future in a matter of a couple of hours. And one of the things that really changed my life was, again, this notion that it's not my job to feed the 5,000. It's only to provide the loaves and fish. So when I talked about that earlier in terms of what our, our, our charge from Jesus is, is to just you know bring our loaves and fish, well, that applies to this project. I got to a place where I didn't have expectations anymore. I didn't expect us to shatter the all-time crowdfunding record. Uh, for season one and generate over $10 million from 19,000 people. But I also wouldn't have been shocked if we got $3,000. You know, I, (laughs) I didn't have expectations and I really have, it becomes a superpower because I'm not that disappointed when something doesn't go great. And I'm also not that moved. Well, I'm moved on a spiritual level when we're, when, when I see impact, but when people say, boy, how, how does it feel for the show to be so huge? And, and do you ever struggle with pride? And I'm like, oh, gosh, no. I mean, believe me, it makes me even more humbled. Um, my father went through this with the Left Behind books 25 years ago. Mm-hmm. And he talks about the same thing. When there was a point when four of his books were all on the New York Times bestseller list at one time, that actually brought him to his knees. That made him even more 
um, grateful because he was like, I know I'm not this good. So um, God has, has been doing a, a, a wonderful job of keeping me in that place of surrender and brokenness that I got to a few years ago. And so uh, I'm, while, while, while this is beautiful and wonderful to see, and I love seeing lives changed, um, I didn't expect it, nor did I, nor am I surprised by it. Yeah. I mean, great potential for a revival in this country, and this is going to be a big contributor. Yeah, I think it's, you know, again, the size of it, I don't know, but I know that revival is taking place because we hear about it literally every yeah. day. I mean, from every country in the world, we hear this show changed my life. This show brought me back to wow. God. This show wow. brought my father to God before he died. This show brought my child, my child to me to say, I want to know Jesus more. Um, I mean, it's happening every day. Uh, we can't even keep up with it, how much we're hearing from people whose lives are literally changing because of it. So the numbers themselves uh, aren't my concern. Um, the depth of it, the, the discipleship of it is my passion. And uh, seeing that has been the most beautiful thing about this whole process. Yeah, Dallas, one of my favorite things from watching it has been the way we see the characters and the and the, the players so much more humanized, where we see the humor coming through with uh, Jesus. And although we don't necessarily see that in the Bible, the nuances you've placed in there m- makes him so unbelievably attractive. When I was thinking of the wedding feast of, at Cana, when the catering issue was uh, as bad as it was, and the instructions were to go fill up the wine only halfway and say you'll be right back, but then you don't come back. I mean, I literally laughed out loud. That is so engaging to see just the human side of all these biblical characters. Yeah, and that's the thing. Even in that same episode, there's a point where Simon asks Jesus if he can help make Andrew a better dancer. <laughs> I know, and, I know. <laughs> uh, and Jesus says, Jesus says, some things even I cannot do. Yeah, um, it's so hysterical. It, yeah, and it's, you know, Jesus being willing to poke fun at even him, his own reputation and his own divinity, uh, I think, is a very humanizing thing. And it's not... Um, it's not to de-emphasize his divinity. It's in fact, in many ways, and I think you would you would say this yourself. In many ways, it enhances our belief in his divinity because we say, "Wow, the creator of the universe uh, dwelt among us. He was Emmanuel, God with us. He did his first public miracle uh, as a favor to his friends because his mom asked him to. Um, he laughed. He cried. He uh, he spent time with rich and poor. He." Um, use ordinary things to do extraordinary things. Uh, he loved people you wouldn't expect. Um, all of those things make up who he was and seeing it uh, on a, in a show like this, not rushed in a, in a 90 minute movie where we're just trying to cover miracle by miracle and Bible verse by Bible verse. We're actually getting into the backstories and the cultural and historical context. Uh, it really draws out your experience with Jesus. And for those who are listening, who might be thinking, well, it concerns me because that's not in the Bible. That piece that you just quoted isn't in the Bible. I, all I can tell you is I assure you that we're hearing vast majority of people saying, I'm reading my Bible more than ever because of this show. Yeah, And that's that's the whole point of the show. Well, in that same episode of the Wedding Feast of Cana, where Jesus is sort of entertaining a bunch of kids, you go, exactly. <laughs> kids were attracted yeah. to him. So he was doing something yeah. that was fun. Yeah, you see him off to the side and he's stacking cups right. and he's doing little uh, card tricks and stuff. And, <laughs> and, uh, and uh, yeah, people, uh, you know, I think those little touches that you bring up, um, it's so funny, they're so innocuous, but I've had people say to me, I've never thought of that before, or I've never seen Jesus that way before. And I always say, well, his disciples did. So yeah. let's see him through the eyes of his disciples. And then maybe we can identify not only with their problems and struggles, we can identify with their solutions and answers. Yeah. 
when you were uh, filming season two, I know this happens uh, when you when the, the the performers gather and they you yell action, you end up with a piece of magic that exceeded your own expectations. I know that happened many times. Can you think of one of those times that you can share? Sure. I mean, well, I, I'd have to I'd have to think about which one to pick out of the exactly you know, nine hundred. Um, <laughs> okay. The, the, the two that really stand out, and I'll make them quick. One is they're both from season one, um, which is episode four of the Miracle of Fish. Uh, if you if you if you're listening and you want to write this down or, or go to YouTube, just look up the Miracle of the Miracle of the Fish uh, with the Chosen, um, and we tell the story of that scene and how that was pulled off and how it exceeded our expectations, especially because four days before we shot that scene, we had no fish, we had no boat, and we had no lake, all of which are essential parts of a scene that are about <laughs> a, a, a fishing of hundreds of fish yeah. into a boat on a lake. So uh, that was extraordinary, and it ended up even better than I than I anticipated. But then also the scene between Jesus and Nicodemus at night, you know, the John chapter 3 uh, most yeah. famous chapter in the Bible. There's a lot of pressure and weight to get that right and to do it justice because it's so famous. But uh, it exceeded even our expectations because the actors in the scene, things were happening emotionally and spiritually that they didn't plan for. Uh, one of the actors was saying, I can't get through this line without weeping. And uh, and I said, yeah, I think that's because you're you're saying, you're, face, you're being faced with scripture. And even though you're just acting, you're, you're faced with scripture. You're faced with a choice. Um, of of death or life, and uh, your character, you know, you're a, a tremendous actor, so you're in character, and I think that is something we all face. And uh, that scene ended up becoming almost transcendent. I mean, that's what people say when they when they watch it is they say they were their hearts were like soaring, and uh, and I think that's that, that's just one of multiple hundreds of of moments when it became very clear that this project was in someone else's hands besides mine. Mm-hmm. Dallas, what episode do we have coming up Sunday? This is episode one of season two. This is the big season. This is the launch. This is what people have been begging for for well, a long time. And if you if you haven't seen season one yet, then don't join us on Sunday. Okay. Unless you can binge watch all eight episodes over the next couple of days. But yeah, episode one of season two launches Sunday night at eight o'clock Eastern uh, on the on our like I said our YouTube pages, our Facebook page, and the Chosen app, which is very easy to find and it's totally free. You just go to wherever you get your phone apps, and it uh, connects directly to your streaming devices, free and easy. So it's. Uh, how you can join uh, hundreds of thousands, maybe millions of people this Sunday night to watch yeah. season two. I know the, our listeners will be wildly enthusiastic uh, to watch, and I know they've been uh, excited about it. I've heard from a lot of listeners uh, how much they're enjoying it and loving it. Um, just a quick last question for you. How has all this changed you? Well, I just have become a more surrendered person, um, a more humbled in, uh, person, uh, for sure. I think, uh, like I mentioned, when I that, that whole philosophy of it's not your job to feed the 5,000, it's only to provide loaves and fish uh, has changed my life and has changed me. And the fact that it continually gets proven over and over and over again uh, on this project um, just hammers that point home, which is just I, I have to be surrendered and, and all I can do is all I can do. And uh, the rest is up to him. And uh, that's something that I didn't, I, that's, that's a concept I didn't have in me uh, up until a few years ago. And I, I wish that I had, but uh, it's, become a, it's become a superpower since then. Yeah. When I've watched some of your videos, your behind the scenes stuff, I, I, my heart is like so full for you because you're doing it all. I mean, you were working so hard. And I think to myself, I hope Dallas is getting some sleep. Are you? No, <laughs> uh, no, I'm not getting sleep. Um, but uh, that's okay because I, uh, that's, 
I'd rather lose sleep than lose time with my wife and kids. Yeah. Um, so I'm willing to, uh, to give up some sleep for that. It's not sustainable long-term of course. Um, but right now I just got to get season two out and, um, you know, my, my number one priority is service to the Lord. Then it's to, of course, my family. And then it's to this show and uh, sleep is number four. So I'll work on it. I'm trying to get better at it. Um, but, um, as of right now, if I'm going to be authentic with you, I'm not, uh, I'm not sleeping as much as I should. No, I appreciate that. And I know you have another interview right after this. So I am so grateful you took the time to uh, talk to all the lovely people at faith radio. Thank you so much. Well, thanks for having me on. And I'm always happy to talk to, uh, to, to my Minnesotans. That's where my in-laws are. And, uh, it's where I went to school. And so anytime I can speak to an audience primarily of Minnesotans. It's always a a pleasure. You are much loved here, Dallas Jenkins. Thank you so much. Thank you, and God bless. God bless you. Dallas Jenkins has been my guest. He's the creator, director, and co-writer of The Chosen. We'll take a short break, and we'll be right back with lots more. Thanks for listening. Programming like this is made available through your support. Information available at MyFaithRadio.com.